You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome in to Crunch Time here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Matt Miguez here. Talking to LSU. Talking a little bit of the New Orleans Saints. Talking some Houston Astros. That's what's on, on the table for the next 90 minutes. Wilson Alexander is going to join us at 4.30 live from Omaha. Can LSU stay alive tonight and take down Tennessee in an elimination game? Also, Brian Lima joins us to kick off hour number two, talking about the Houston Astros. James Mesh, good afternoon, sir. We're, 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 we're two hours in. You, you got another, another 90 minutes in you? Yeah, it's almost like we were just here. Uh, right, <laughs> it's a, right. It's almost like you just heard us for the last two hours, but no, it's it's been good so far, and only nine minutes to go. Come on, we got Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Um, breaking news that that just came across uh, James and I's uh, cell phone. Brian Lima will not be joining us. Uh, the the to the moon boys have a very important business meeting to get to, so we we won't have to the moon today. Have no fear, though. Because, again, we make this joke quite often. James and I can recover and make up for it, correct? We can pull that off. We'll be fine. Anyways, LSU falls to Wake Forest 3-2 to two last night in a game where 4-9 through nine in the lineup combined to go 1-for-20. The one hit coming from Cade Beloso. Gavin Dugas was 0 for 2. Braden Jobert was 0 for 4. Jordan Thompson was 0 for 4. Josh Pearson was 0 for 3. You have to be better. Look, you like like I like I said during the Jordy Holberg show, you can be mad at the umpire all you want. All you want. You can curse him up and down all day long, I don't care. If Four through nine goes one for 20. There's no excuse. Zero. If you come into a baseball game and the commentators spend the most time talking about how good you are offensively and nearly 60% of your lineup goes over, I can't help you. I can't defend that. Now, I thought Ty Floyd pitched very well until things went off the rails in the sixth. I thought Thatcher Hurd did a nice job in relief. You got 15 strikeouts of Wake Forest, which was great. Wake Forest made the plays that they needed to when they needed to make them. They tagged you out in the eighth. They turned right back around and scored a run in the eighth as well. That's a two-run swing there. And that made the difference. You lose 3-2 because of a two-run swing in the eighth inning. And now, 
you're sitting with your back against the wall, tucked into a corner, and you're going to have to fight like hell to get your way out. You've got Tennessee tonight. You're going to face a really good pitcher in Drew Beam who has been great as of late. And then you're going to have to beat Wake Forest not once but twice. So what does that look like? What does the team that, that beat you 3-2 to two last night, how do you beat them twice? A team that has only lost 10 games all season. It's going to take complete games. You're going to have to have two games, technically three if you want to count tonight's game against Tennessee, where you're going to have to hit, pitch, and field nearly perfectly in in order to pull it off. It's been done. LSU did it in 2017. Jay Johnson did it the year before. You can crawl your way out of the loser's bracket into the championship series. But those two instances that I just brought up, neither one of them lifted a national championship trophy at the end of it. Can this team be different? That's what it's going to come down to. How different, how special is this LSU baseball team? We've said it all year. that This is a special group. Well, how special? Let's find out. Because that's what you're going to need over the next six days between now and what would be the winner-take-all game three of a championship series. That, that game three of the championship series is six days away. So you need six days of special if you want to lift the championship trophy. So James, you know, give, give, give me your thoughts. What does that look like? Well, I mean, you saw a good game from Dylan Cruz, game one versus Tennessee. I mean, he ended up hitting two for five, but 0 for three last night. I mean, you got to see more out of Cruz. You really do. Like he did, he did fine defensively, but and and I hate to say that because he's delivered so often for you this year. He has, and his slugging percentage, his on base percentage, his batting average has all been absolutely phenomenal. But ever since we've gotten into this, going two for five and then zero for three last night, that puts you at a two fifty. That puts you at average. If you're going to be the batter of the year and get that award, you got to step up in big moments like these. Tommy White goes two for four with an RBI. Trey Morgan goes two for four with an RBI. And then from Travinsky on down, it was not good. It was not good. Jordan Thompson strikes out four times. Brayden Jobert strikes out twice. Josh Pearson strikes out twice. Gavin Dugas got walked twice but never got a base hit. So, I mean, yeah, Dugas got on base, and that's great. But of his two times getting on base, never turned into anything. LSU has to find a way to take their base runners and turn them into runs. You stranded seven guys on base last night. You can't do that. You can't. You can't have the combination of the meat of your order going one for 20 and then stranding seven guys on base. You can't have both. You really can't have one, but you certainly can't have both uh, of those things happening at once. Um, so I'm interested to see who LSU is going to pitch tonight. 
more than likely, I'll agree with what Blake Rafino said a little bit ago. I would likely throw Riley Cooper tonight. And you just go with the Johnny Holstaff approach where you'll pitch him for three innings and then you go to someone else like a Nate Ackenhausen. Or maybe Javen Coleman in a relief role. Gavin Gidry. I mean, you've got guys you can go to. Christian Little has to be available. Um, like you bring in three to four guys, you try to get the good team win, and that way you give yourself a chance to get a revenge against Wake Forest. If you win tonight, I know people are going to call me crazy. Paul Skeens has to pitch tomorrow. He has to. And then I think you start Thatcher Hurd in a winner-take-all. And we were and we were talking about it with Blake because he said Jay Johnson always, he says, a minimum of three days. Wednesday's three days. Yeah, because Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Wednesday so, is three full days of rest. Three and a half, technically, because the game's not till 6 o'clock. So you could technically argue that it's three and a half days of rest. And I'm not saying let them run out there for 120 pitches again. Let them throw 70, 80. Let him give you the opportunity for your offense to deliver. Let him set the pace for the first three to four innings. And then bring in someone else. Bring in the other relievers that you've had in rotation. Correct. Absolutely. I'm not I'm not saying a typical Paul Skeens outing. Let him throw anywhere from 50 to 80 pitches or five innings, whichever one comes first, and then pull him for your relievers. Go to your Blake Money. Go to Riley Cooper, depending on how much he pitches tonight. Nate Ackenhausen, Gavin Gidry, Christian Little. You've got guys that you can go to. Thatcher Hurd only pitched three innings. He's available. You have to do whatever it takes to win these next three games. Now, of course, you have to do it safely. You you can't jeopardize anybody's career in the process. But if it can be done, you have to do it. Because... There's no more, oh, we need to save Paul for this game. What if you don't make it to that game? You you don't have that opportunity. That is not a luxury for you anymore. Wake Forest has that luxury. They can save Red Louder for a, if necessary, winner-take-all game because they're in the driver's seat. They can afford to lose a game. You cannot. One more loss in your season is over. And this super special team that we have got it out since February kind of comes away with nothing, in a sense. I mean, yeah, you made it to Omaha for the first time since 2017, and that's great. That's an accomplishment. That should be celebrated. But with the expectations that this team had... And created even further for itself with the way it performed through the first half of the year, this season quickly became national championship or bust. So it's really going to feel broken if you don't lift the trophy at the end of this. So LSU's got a lot of work to do. They've got to win five games 
in order to, to win a national championship, but they have to win three to even be in the conversation. We'll talk with Wilson Alexander here in a minute about what that looks like for LSU. We'll take a timeout here, though, when we return. Hear from Jay Johnson and Trey Morgan following the game, and we will preview a matchup with Tennessee next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The community is invited to join the Bayou Vermilion District's Vermilionville as they celebrate the annual Acadian Culture Day on Sunday, August 15th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. The annual event features live music, a parade, art displays, cooking, accordion construction, and repair, wood carving, open hearth cooking, and other demonstrations. Admission is free, and for more information, call 337-233-4077. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time 418. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And as a reminder here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Following their 3-2 loss last night at the hands of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, Jay Johnson gave his opening thoughts on the game. Yeah, great college baseball game. Um Hats off to the pitching on both sides. Um, they got a clutch hit uh, there at the end, and we did not um, get ready to go tomorrow. When you look at the box score for Wake Forest, Josh Hartle was phenomenal. Six innings, four hits. He gives up the two runs. He walked four, struck out nine. Uh, Cole Rowland comes in two-thirds, strikes out two, only walks one. Michael Massey comes in point two innings as well. He gives up one hit. But that was it. And then Camden Manassi comes in and shuts the door for the Demon Deacons. One and two-thirds, no hits, no runs. He struck out two as well. Jay Johnson was asked, what did he see from the dugout in Wake's Forest pitching? Well, I mean, with Hartle, it's four pitches for strikes. Roland has a great breaking ball. Obviously, he came in and, and struck the first two guys out. He faced Massey's got a big arm. Um, and, I mean... Made a great pitch to Cade. You know, you have to send the runner there, so we stay out of the double play. And um, he I mean, has a heck of a play by Wilkin. I mean, if it skips or if he throws it and bounces off Trey, we're ahead 3-2, and we probably have runners on second and third. Um, so, again, you know, in championship environments, as we said in our game on Saturday, your dudes have to be dudes, and, and he was a dude on that tonight. Um, but good bullpen. Those guys are, are really tough, and there's a reason they've only lost 10 games all year with the starting pitching they have and the bullpen they have. Trey Morgan was asked following his performance, what was Wake Forest doing from your point of view in the batter's box? Uh, yeah, they were mixing pitches really well, going in and out, um, executing their plan. We were also uh, trying our best to execute our plan. Um, I feel like we put a lot of pressure on them when we needed to. Uh, just didn't work out for us in that. On that critical play in the eighth inning that Jay Johnson mentioned where Trey Morgan was called out at the plate. Look, I, I, I get Jay Johnson's 
point of if you don't go, you have a runner on third with two outs, I get it. Because if he doesn't go, you turn the double play. Because, let's be honest, Cade Beloso's not very fast. Um, But, at at the same time, you could have avoided that situation altogether if you would have just laid down the bunt. But I digress. Hindsight's 20-20. Whatever. Trey Morgan talked about the play and what he saw that made him go home in the eighth inning. Yeah, um, we were in uh, red, which means I go on contact. As soon as the ball was hit, I uh, took off. I knew he was going to have like an awkward throw, so I kind of tried to get a little bit uh, over to get in the way. But um, he made a great play. At least he was honest. He tried to get in the way. I was I, I was going to say, because even then, with a third baseman for Wake Forest, he either just lost the ball in his glove, so it took him, mm-hmm. or he double pumped. He double he double pumped. So it's like even then he had to go super far right just to even have a solid oh, angle the, to get it to their catcher. The throw was great. The throw was perfect. And even then, it's like it was super hard to see if the glove actually hit Trey Morgan in the knee or in the leg. I don't think it. I don't think it did. And I I'm not super confident it did either. That was my thing. I was like, I think he's safe. But my dad and I were talking about it. I was like, they're not going to overturn. It's it. not going to overturn because it Correct. wasn't clear enough for them to go one way or the other. If they would have said safe as the original call, they probably would have just said it was safe. Correct. And said you Trey wouldn't Morgan have been able to overturn it either way. Um, so that plays like that, the call on the field is so crucial because if it's not indecisive, I mean, you're not going to be able to overturn it. And it really didn't help either when all the. Uh, the dust came up, so it was right. harder to see with like the the white chalk coming up with the gray pants. It's like it was t- kind of tough to see. Like, where I, does he actually touch him? I, I really don't think he touched him until he got him on the stomach. Uh, but you know, uh, again, it was going to be really hard to to even try to overturn that call if it happens. Um, but look, I mean, you, you can't worry about that anymore. Now it's it's an opportunity for. LSU to respond in a big way and like I mentioned in the first segment just kind of prove how special this team truly is let's go back to the game hotline T what's going on Matt there's one thing I can't stand about coaches and it's when they talk coach speak it was a great college baseball game whatever I thought we go back to old school and choose some you know what What's wrong with that? Because society nowadays would grill them. Oh, God, here we go. Well, another thing about the situation with Morgan, you had first and third with no outs. If he stays at third, there's no way. I don't care if you run in on crutches to first. No way he turns a double play on us. If he throws the second... Trey Morgan safe at home, right or wrong? I don't know. I mean, and I, if they do, if they do turn the double play, it's two outs, but we scored. I don't yeah. understand. But I, I and I, I get your point, and I, I agree with it. If they turn the double play, Trey Morgan does likely score. But at the same time, 
if you're the third baseman and you see that runner kind of hesitate, you either have a play at the plate like you had, you turn the double play and maybe Trey Morgan scores, or Trey Morgan gets hung out to dry and then you have runners at first and second with one out. No way. Not with his speed. If that guy goes to second, and they wouldn't have turned the double play on, on K. No way. He, he was on the line. It would have been an awkward throw to second base or even first base. I mean, I, I don't know. Because, I mean, I, I, I get your point that, that, he, again. that he caught it on Watch the left side again. of the bag, but but Cade Beloso is not fast. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah, like I said, if they double him up, Trey Morgan scores. He's got too much speed not to score. It's fair enough. T, appreciate the call, man. Okay, buddy. Hey, love your show, Buff. Appreciate you. I, I would love to agree. And yes, Trey Morgan has killer speed. But say he throws it to second, and then Trey takes off for the plate. That second baseman's going to say, oh, I'll let the guy be safe at second. I'm firing it to the catcher. And it's still a bang-bang play at the plate. Either way. So, look, it's six of one, half dozen of another. No, No matter how you slice it, there were very few situations where that pays off for LSU. Um, And I'm also trying to think about your bunt situation. Like, say you bu- you're you going to bunt it down the first baseline, of course. Correct. Because you're going to try and get it away from Trey Morgan so it gives them a better chance. But it's like, if they see this, I don't think the catcher would go after it, so he would just stay. The catcher the would, would go just, after it. You, you, have to, you would have to trust that either the pitcher or the first baseman were able to get to it quick enough and flip it over to the catcher for the out. Right. It's just, it would also have to be far enough and just run down the first baseline. It's like... How- but but that's what LSU does when they bunt. It would just be a slow little trickler down the line, and you you make the play. And also, if the call is to bunt, Trey Morgan's probably taken off before Beloso even makes contact. Right? He's stealing. And then if Beloso misses, then I mean you're you're screwed. But if if the call from Jay Johnson was to lay down a bunt and say Beloso doesn't even move his bat to bunt until the catcher I mean until the pitcher makes his wind up well that's not a lot of time for your first or third baseman to get in position for a bunt and with Trey Morgan's speed I don't know many guys that are beating him mm-hmm. so I think if you lay down a bunt there nine times out of ten Trey Morgan's scoring in that scenario. And then whether they turn a double play or not doesn't really matter because you scored the run. That was the point. The point was to score the run and take the lead. So whether they got one out or two outs on the play is really quite irrelevant because now you go into the bottom of the eighth inning with momentum and confidence and the lead. After that Trey Morgan play at the plate, you just kind of felt dejected. I also think 
that would have been a nine times out of ten to third base anyway. What do you mean? Like, I feel like eight, nine times out of ten, Trey Morgan would have scored on that play anyway. Even if it go with K. Beloso hitting it to third? Because, like, let's be honest, we both really, at the end of the day, think that Trey Morgan scored because he didn't get touched until he got hit in the chest or the stomach. I don't, neither of us think he got hit in the leg. Right. I mean, I think he's, I think he was safe, but here's the thing if the third baseman doesn't double pump, Trey's out by a mile. But even then, with him kind of blocking his angle, he still has to run to the right anyway to make a good throw. Yeah. How often is the third base going to make an absolute perfect throw while also having to go super far to the right to have a good enough angle to make the throw? I don't know. That's interesting. That's what that's what I'm saying. That That's an interesting concept. Um, but look, Again, hindsight's twenty twenty. We, we we can sit here and talk all day about what should have happened or, or or what could have happened. Fact of the matter is is that they called red, which is go on any contact. Trey went and he got beat. Whether we agree with the call or not, that's the way it went down. Um, and, and now LSU has to fight like hell to to play for a championship series. How do they do that? What does their pitching staff look like? What does their batting order have to do to kind of turn it around? Wilson Alexander of The Advocate joins us next for Tiger Talk. He's live in Omaha, and he'll get you set for that game with Tennessee in about an hour and a half. We'll talk to him next. Johnson throws. Boutte's got it wide open at the 10. Far side. He's in for the score. Hit high. Hammered to left field. Going back, taking a look. Is Holcomb, and it's gone. Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals with the advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Wilson Alexander, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for asking. Let's start with last night, a 3-2 loss for LSU to Wake Forest. Look, you, you, you could argue that things went wrong for the Tigers in the sixth. When Ty Floyd walked the bases loaded, in your opinion, where did things kind of go wrong for Jay Johnson's team? For me, it was more in the top of the eighth. Runners on first and third, no outs, a chance to take the lead in a really tight, also quality baseball game. This was something that I think, in my opinion, lived up to the, the billing You know, of these two teams that had both been ranked number one. And you had to come through in that kind of a game with some timely hits. And LSU... Uh, missed its chance there in the eighth inning, and that's, I think, where everything turned. Um, Wake Forest was willing to concede the run and try to score in the bottom of the eighth or the ninth um, if Cape, against Cape Beloso with those runners on the corners. Um, but Cade hit it in just the most awkward, for him, spot. You know, somebody who's such a pull hitter typically, you know, hits it down the third base line, and Wake Forest is able to make a great play and get out of the jam, and then get Gavin got to roll over there for a double play in, in the inning. And so, and then obviously comes back in the bottom of the frame and, and is able to get the timely hit that LSU didn't. And so that's, I think, for me where this game was both turned and decided. Now, in, in that scenario, I've I've debated this with, with people all day. Do you think Cade Beloso would have been better suited maybe laying a bunt down the first baseline? Um, I guess maybe, you know, in, in but that's kind of a situation where inside 2020, because you've got a guy who is normally going to hit something full side. And, um, 
for him to suddenly not do that, I mean, like Jay Johnson said, he's like, I don't know, Kate's the ground ball to third base all year. So, sir, like in, maybe in, in, in retrospect, that could have been the way to go. Pretty high chance that he was going to hit something uh, pull side anyway. And in, in, uh, a bunt, you know, would have been, I guess, the most sure way to do that. But um, also uh, maybe Wake Forest, you know, plays, is able to read that if, it's, if he's being very clear that he's squaring around. So I think that's a situation where it's just easy to think so maybe in retrospect. But um, it was really just kind of a wonky uh, result out of somebody who is usually going to hit it pull side. The biggest the, the biggest statistic that stands out to me is the fact that in your lineup, hitters four through nine combined for a whopping one for twenty. That 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 cannot happen going forward, right? No, absolutely not. And it's kind of funny that you say that because uh, what I one of the things that I sort of mentioned in a, one of our stories right after the Tennessee game was how LSU had separated itself that day with the bottom of the order. Um, really, a lot of the production had come through those four through nine hitters, and so LSU. That's what when this team is most dangerous, it's getting production top to bottom out of those guys like Joe Bear and Thompson and Pearson and Duga, etc. Um, and that didn't obviously show up. That's a really good Wake Forest team, uh, a really good pitching staff, the best pitching staff in the country this season. And so you're going to have those kinds of nights, you know, it's baseball, but everything is magnified on the stage, and so you really just can't you can't afford for it to happen, and so. LSU, if it's going to advance tonight against Tennessee, and then if it's going to somehow take two against Wake Forest, yeah, it's going to have to be able to hit top to bottom in the order. The pitching staff is going to get stretched, and it's going to need to score quite a few runs in order to continue to play baseball. I know tonight's going to be a Johnny Holstaff kind of night for the Tigers, but if you had a hand in it, who who would be starting on the bump? Riley Cooper would, would be the starter for me. Um, He's somebody who's got, you know, College World Series experience. He's already pitched once in this um, – uh, um, excuse me, sorry. Uh, he's already pitched once in this College World Series, and he, and he pitched pretty effectively. And he's really done well down the stretch uh, for this LSU baseball team. Somebody with that experience, a, a, you know, crafty lefty who's been missing bats. Uh, I would start with Riley, uh, get as much as you possibly can out of him, and then continue to kind of pepper this team with some lefties like Nate Alkenhausen. And Griffin Herring. Would you say that the only two pitchers unavailable would be Skeens and Floyd? Certainly, and, and probably Hurd is unavailable tonight as well. Um, you know, he pitched a, a while last night. I, I would imagine that he couldn't turn around on such short rest. So it's probably you know the entire bullpen minus your three guys who you know would be like you said Skeens, Floyd, and then I would I would add Hurd to that thing. Chatting with Wilson Alexander here on crunch time you look at the matchup with tennessee uh, that's a team that lsu has played four times now uh they are three and one against the volunteers now obviously when you get to omaha records you know kind of get thrown out the window they did win one uh six to three on saturday night what what's kind of the mindset and the mentality other than you know you have to win it uh, but what, what's kind of the mentality of this baseball team knowing that you've had success against this opponent before? It's like they they have to approach it the same way that they've approached every other game, which is just one game at a time. You can't let either the moment get too big for you, and you can't let the fact that you have had success against the Tennessee Volunteers this season get in your head. Because if you start to get cocky, overconfident about it, then that's when Tennessee, which is a very good baseball team, they're here for a reason, can – you know, end your season tonight. 
The LSU has got to be able to keep those kinds of emotions under control, go out and play its brand of baseball, and, and play with really just a strong uh, mentality, You know, not let itself get too overwhelmed, and, and go out and, and continue to play like it is capable of playing. You, you didn't see it last night, but you've seen it for most of the postseason. Get back into that sort of a rhythm, top to bottom, or the order, hitting all the way through. Um, get going to have to have some good pitching um, if you're going to get through the night, and especially if you're going to get the next two days. You've got to be able to take it one game at a time. You just got to control your breathing, settle down, get into a flow. Nine games have been played so far in Omaha. Six of them have been decided by one run. Uh, just kind of talk about how tight the, the competition's been so far this weekend in Omaha. It's been a fantastic College World Series so far. I saw a tweet from an AP writer who has covered the College World Series for decades and said he can't ever remember a more exciting College World Series just because of how tense these games have been and how they've come down to those final outs. You know, every team's had a chance pretty much. And so, um, you know, obviously just a couple of exceptions. And so it's been just some fantastic baseball has been played, some really closely contested games. Um, you're seeing that these teams are all pretty evenly matched. And so um, it's been a, a great week so far, um, and I'm sure it's going to continue to uh, tonight. Wilson, when you look at this LSU baseball team, you know, obviously Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, Trey Morgan, those guys continue to to deliver, although Dylan Cruz did not have a, a great performance last night. You have to think that this this offense will produce better than it did last night against Wake Forest, right? This is the bread and butter, the MO of this team is high-powered offense. It leads the SEC in batting average, in uh, a slugging percentage, in on-base percentage, in almost every offensive major category. It's either one or two. And so that's what's going to have to be the thing that carries them through tonight and through potentially two games against Wake Forest. If it's going to make the championship series, it's going to have to come through the bat. you got to get a lot out of Dylan, Tommy White, Trey Morgan at the top. And like we talked about earlier, you got to get a lot all the way through the lineup as well. But it starts with those guys one through three. Um, you know, uh, Cruz, Morgan, uh, and White are your stars and are, are your biggest producers. Um, Trey's come up with some really clutch hits. Tommy White had a couple hits yesterday, uh, especially if you can get, you know, Cruz, you know, rolling after kind of an off night, like you said, then they're going to be in good shape, but it's got to go through those guys. You know, I talked about this earlier in the show. Jay Johnson knows how to get out of this hole. Uh, he did it in 2016 with Arizona. LSU's also done it in 2017 to get to the championship series. Do, do you think there's anything that this pitching, this coaching staff, and, and this team can take away from either one of those years and, and use tonight? Jay Johnson referenced both of those years uh, and at last night to this team in the dugout before they left the field. You know, he gathered them up in right field like they typically draft the game. They got them all together again in the dugout and brought up both of those teams. Obviously, Arizona in 2016 and LSU in 2017 ended up losing in the championship series. Um, so it's maybe not the perfect example of what you ultimately want to accomplish. Um, but if LSU can get to that, you know, to this upcoming weekend playing for a title, then it can kind of at least regroup because you'd be able to throw schemes again and be most likely anyway and, and be in pretty good uh, shape as, as in a three-game series. And so um, he's used both of those examples. He doesn't want them to get too deflated. He wants them to know that this is possible, this is doable, there's precedent uh, to be able to come through the loser's bracket. Um, but it just you, they got to take it one game at a time, and it starts here against Tennessee. 
What does Drew Beam do well on the mound for the Volunteers that'll that'll make things a little interesting for LSU? Oh gosh, I, I haven't gotten a great look at Drew Beam uh, this season, unfortunately. Um, just you know, covering LSU more so. LSU had success against him the first time, though. I think he only lasted about four innings, and so you know, LSU knows how to go about him. Um, and we'll just have to kind of see how it unfolds tonight. Wilson Alexander of the Advocate joining us here for Tiger Talk on Crunch Time. Wilson, appreciate your time as always. Enjoy tonight in Omaha. Hopefully, it's not the last one, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Matt. And there he goes. Wilson Alexander of the Advocate in Baton Rouge. Once again, LSU will play Tennessee in an elimination game. 6 o'clock first pitch, 5.30 pregame. And as always, you can hear it right here on the game with the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair, on the call. 4.46, we'll go ahead and take a timeout. When we return, talk a little New Orleans Pelicans plus ranking NFL Big Threes. We'll do that next right here on The Game. This is Crunch Time on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you are looking for great deals, look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. Plenty of two-for-one deals available right now, including a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for $15, a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50, and a $40 voucher to Misfits Dine and Drink for only $20. Once again, visit AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. We're wrapping up hour number one here from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Don't forget, the hotline's open for the rest of the show. The final 30 or so minutes, 337-706-0111, before we transition over to the LSU game with pregame starting at 530. Now, Matt had alluded to it right before the timeout. Looking at the NFL and their triplets, you know, the big three, kind of like how we had seen before with Ben Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, before that band had to get, they all had to separate, go their own separate ways. But ranking the top 32 triplets, now this is part one, Matt, but it's kind of interesting, and I agree with it for the most part, but there are a few things I would move here and there, starting with, Number 32, the Arizona Cardinals. You're going to have Colt McCoy, James Conner, and Marquise Brown. Colt McCoy, not good. Trash. James Conner, eh. average. And then Marquise Brown as your wide receiver one. But, I, you eh. see, I, I, love how, I love how there are nine tiers to this. And, obviously, this is just part one, so you only get to, to tier number seven. But... There, there's nine tiers to this makeup, and tier number nine is the Cardinals. Well, this Cardinals team is going to be terrible. Like they, they are the bad of the bad. Kyler Murray tore his ACL in December. He will not be ready for Week One. Um, so like like James mentioned, Colt McCoy is going to run the offense uh, at least for the beginning of the season, and that is just going to be not enjoyable to watch. They're going to be going for the number one pick. Tier number eight, 
the bottom. How about Tampa Bay being at 31? Quarterback, Baker Mayfield. Running back, Rashad White. I am curious to see how Rashad White ends up being. But definitely understandable why they would be very close to the bottom. And, of course, wide receiver one, Mike Evans. Marshall and Lattimore's son. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Number 30, the Houston Texans. Quarterback, C.J. Stroud. I'm excited to see what C.J. can do in the league. But it's understandable since you don't know what you got. You have to put him near the bottom. And then Damian Pierce, solid solid back, but kind of lacks that explosion for big plays. And then there's Nico, Nico Collins. Collins as your feature receiver. Now, I think you would have to change this to, oh, what's the Alabama receiver? John Mechie? John Mechie. I feel like John Wrong. Mechie would be closer Wrong. the main feature wide receiver. But Wrong. Okay. You've seen nothing. I'm saying by the end of it, you're going to... By the end of the year, yeah. Right now, Nico Collins is your wideout one. But that's what I'm saying. Looking at the commanders, Sam Howell, another situation where you really haven't seen what he can do. Yeah, that's not great. Brian Robinson, same thing with Rashad White, where you saw a little bit here and there, but you're going to see a little bit more. And then Terry McLaurin, one of the better receivers, but... Uh, Tier seven and number twenty-eight, Carolina. You're running your quarterback, obviously number one overall pick, Bryce Young. Uh, running back, Miles Sanders. Wide receiver, Adam Thielen. And I'm interested to see how Miles Sanders ends up being seeing more of like a workload, because there would be times, and obviously you saw in the Super Bowl where they just didn't, the Eagles just didn't believe him, and and that's why you saw Kenneth Gainwell get so many more touches in that Super Bowl and in the playoffs. Patriots come in at number 27 with Mac Jones at quarterback, Ramondre Stevenson at running back, and Juju Smith-Schuster as the wide receiver. Um, Look, last year would have gone much differently for New England if Matt Patricia wasn't running the offense. Yeah, this offense should be improved. Mac Jones should see a little bit better of an improvement, kind of see what we saw in his rookie season. I like what Ramondre Stevenson can do. I just I don't like Juju Smith-Schuster as a wide receiver one. I think if the Patriots end up getting DeAndre Hopkins, I like their situation a lot better. But if you're if you're if you have Juju Smith-Schuster as your wide receiver one in your offense, I don't feel too great about it. Atlanta's an interesting one at 26. Desmond Ritter, Bijan Robinson, Kyle Pitts. You're very young. Very, very young. You're also very inexperienced. Now, talent can take you a long way. How far? Well, Atlanta's going to have to answer that question in, in 2023 because, again, there's not a lot of experience there. So, yes, long term, you're probably set up well. And then even then, you only have so many options. could also mention Drake London, Correct. which is another very young piece that – in the future, this could be a juggernaut offense if everything gels together. But the group on here that probably interests me the most is the fact that Denver is at number 21. And I was looking at the Packers at 23. Yeah, that's an interesting lineup as well with Jordan Love, Aaron Jones, and Christian Watson. Um, still not 100% sure what you're going to get out of Jordan Love this year. I read a report earlier today that it, it has not looked great 
so far for for the Jordan Love era. But we'll we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but Denver, you know, Russell Wilson, a quarterback, uh, Javante Williams or Samaj J.P. Ryan at running back, whichever way you really want to slice it. And then Cortland Sutton as your wideout number one. I would have probably put Jerry Judy there, but, you know, some some people can have differing opinions. That's that's fine. Um, the Steelers one, I think Steelers need to be lower on the list. Ooh, really? Not the biggest fan of Kenny Pickett, and I just don't believe in Najee Harris. I think Deontay Johnson's all right, but that overall receiving core, I'd probably put um, George Pickens. George Pickens, I think, is one that's really going to elevate. Hour number one in the books. we got 30 more minutes of crunch time coming up as we get you set for LSU and Tennessee. We'll talk some Houston Astros. We'll talk some New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. And, of course, your calls on the hotline, 337-706-0111. We'll be back for hour number two right after this top of the hour sports update right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, man, 30 minutes to go here on Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James and Mesh inside the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. A story that broke right before we ended our number one. LSU has announced their starting pitcher for tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Nate Ackenhausen will be on the mound for the Fighting Tigers. This is his first start for LSU. This will be his 16th appearance, but it is his First start for the Tigers. James, immediate reaction to the news is what? God, I hope you can go four innings. Well, his longest outing this year is three and two-thirds in the SEC tournament against South Carolina, where he threw 67 pitches in three and two-thirds innings. Now, he was solid in that three and two-thirds. The other thing that's going to be interesting, we talked about Javen Coleman earlier and how he hasn't pitched in a couple of weeks. It's been two weeks since Ackenhausen's pitched. He last appeared on June 5th in the regional against Oregon State. That was 15 days ago. So... What type of performance will you get out of Nate Ackenhausen? I'm not really sure. Uh, But that is the decision that Jay Johnson has decided to make. We will see how that plays out for the Tigers once again. Pre-game about 25 minutes away now um, between LSU and Tennessee with a spot in a do-or-die series with Wake Forest on the line. Looking at some top stories in sports so far today, one thing that that kind of stands out in the NFL or in the NBA, excuse me, Kyle Kuzma declines his player option and will hit free agency. 
James, do you think that has anything to do with trading away Bradley Beal? So you're telling me Kyle Kuzma would have to be the guy in Washington? Well, wouldn't Chris Paul be the guy? If Chris Paul stays on the roster. Well, that's true. That's but even true. then, do you want to run your whole offense and have Chris Paul be your main scorer? No. no. Not at all. No, not really. No. Um. <laughs> so Kyle Kuzma being your number one. Speaking of the Chris Paul trade, the fact that he found out that he was dealt from his son, bro, that's disgusting. Hey, Dad, you're headed to Washington. That's disgusting. Look, and Chris Paul put it perfectly. You come to realize that in this league, nobody owes you anything. And that might be true. However, if you have a Hall of Fame point guard still ain't owed a ring that helped lead your team to an NBA Finals appearance, I think you can give them a courtesy call. <laughs> hey, bud, just wanted to put it in your ear. You might be getting traded. Okay, cool. Have a great day. Like, not even a, text the guy. Give him some kind of heads up. He did not need to find out through his son that he was moving across the country. Because, yikes, that's rough. Uh, Phoenix could have handled that way better. But then again, are, are you surprised? In, in today's sports world that a, a, a guy wasn't notified that he got traded. That he found out through his son. Anyways, going to the NFL now, in, in a world where players are getting suspended left and right for gambling, the NFL has reiterated his its gambling policy to their players. The six key rules are the following. Do not bet on NFL games. Don't gamble at A, your team facility, traveling for a road game, or staying at a team hotel. Don't have someone else bet for you. Don't share insider info with anyone. Do not enter a sports book during the NFL season. And don't play daily fantasy football. Now, some of those, okay, I, I get it. Obviously, don't bet on the league. Like, that's fair. Um, don't have someone else bet for you again. Don't bet at the facility or at the team hotel or pretty much right before a game because you're going to be on the road. Right. Don't enter a sports book during the season. I, like, think that, I think that's fair, too. Like, if it's a bye week and you're not going bet on the NFL, like, why not? I, I get it, but then I kind of don't. It's kind of like a gateway. It's like as soon as you do it once, you're like, okay, right. well, then I'll do it. I'll do it this week. It's like right. it's, you got to keep the parameters straight. Also, the league reminded their players that you cannot participate in weekly Fantasy football. So your typical fantasy football league 
if the prize is larger than two hundred and fifty dollars. We're playing for funsies. <laughs> yeah, you're you're playing for bragging rights here, folks. Um, because yeah, you, you can't make more than two hundred fifty bucks off of fantasy football in the NFL, apparently. Um, look, man, don't end up like uh, Jamison Williams and get suspended for for gambling, or you know, Calvin Ridley. Hopefully, he learned his lesson because he's going to be back in the in the league this year. Yeah, he is. Um, also, correct me if I'm wrong, James. Didn't Michael Pittman get suspended for gambling? Didn't that happen? Or or did I dream that up? I think we're still trying to figure out all that. Okay. All that out. So, he, But he is involved. It was a lot of Colts players. Okay. I remember seeing that Michael Pittman might be one of them, but I remember also seeing a bunch of their cornerbacks were there as well. Because earlier when we were talking about the big threes in the NFL, Michael Pittman was listed as the wide receiver one for the Colts. And I was like, wait a second. Didn't he get suspended? But but maybe I jumped the gun on that. He still shows questionable for me on my fantasy team. Um, look, we, we talked about it during Jordy's show. The NBA drafts in two days, and the Pelicans have yet to make a move, nor has there been any real chatter about them making a move. There's been talks that, oh, you know, they're interested in making a deal with Charlotte, and Charlotte's interested in Brandon Ingram, but nothing's truly developed. So the the thing that I'm kind of questioning here is, Pelicans are running out of time. Are they waiting for draft night? And to be this big, you know, draft night surprise that we talk about five years from now? Or will no deal ever develop and you keep Zion and BI and draft whoever you draft at 14? Which which scenario do you get if you're the New Orleans Pelicans? James, what are you do you do you think it's gonna be a draft night trade? I think if they end up trading, because I don't know how likely that they end up getting a deal done to move up to the number two or three spot, but I think if they do, it's going to be while Charlotte or the Trailblazers are on the clock. Now, you were talking about Michael Pittman. I did look it up real quick. The tweet about Michael Pittman being suspended, that was by a fake Adam Schefter. Um, it was Adam Schefter I fell for it. with the three R's. I fell for it. Uh, but no, Michael Pittman is not going to be suspended. I fell for it. Dang. And that's why people should have been able to remain verified on Twitter. Because now everybody looks the same. And it's just not fair. Um, Look at the ads. Yeah, you're the, right. The ads are important. You're right. Uh, yesterday, after we got off the air, LSU fans, well, Raising Cane's owner, Todd Graves, uh, did a doozy on the Jello Shot Challenge up in Omaha. He bought 6,000 Jello Shots to give LSU the all-time record. He also himself set a Guinness Book of World Records record for the most alcoholic shots purchased by one person. Uh, but after last night's loss, it seems like LSU fans have kind of drowned their sorrows a little bit. They're now up to 23,302. The closest school is, you guessed it, Wake Forest at 6,631. 
So LSU has nearly a 17,000 jello shot lead on its next closest school. Because, hey, let's not forget. They may not win a national championship. They still could, but they may not. Who's the but, real winner here? But you'll always have the jello shot title. And the record. Nobody can take that away from you until a couple years from now when somebody does. Unless you beat yourself out. <laughs> right, unless you break your own record. Which, if that's the case, I mean, bravo. Good good for you. You don't have a drinking problem at all. Um. <laughs> anyways, the Houston Astros. Oof. They they might they might cause somebody to have a drinking problem. The Astros are thirty nine and thirty four right now. Uh, they have lost eleven of their last fifteen. They are seven and eleven in the month of June, and tonight they're going to face a former teammate in Justin Verlander, uh, who will get the start for the New York Mets against Framber Valdez. James, the thing that kind of bugs me about the Astros' struggles right now is the teams that they're losing to are not very good. You know, you you fell to... You, you dropped a game to the Nationals. You got swept by the Reds. You dropped two out of three to Cleveland. Like, the, the teams that you were losing to are not very good. And then you got absolutely smacked by the Mets last night with Max Scherzer, who was starting last night. And then Correct. Guess who's starting tonight? Verlander. Verlander's pitching. I, I just can't feel confident. No, it's not like Verlander. Right no, it's not like Verlander was having the season that he had last year. Well, no, and there's a there's clearly a reason why the Astros refused to pay him thirty five million dollars a year over three years because he's forty years old. Um, but again, the the Mets have a losing record. The Reds, up until two weeks ago, were an afterthought. The they've, Nats, they've surged recently. The Nats are not very good. Granted, you won two out of three in that series, uh, but one of them was a real big struggle. And then you lost two out of three to Cleveland. Stop losing to bad teams. Win the games that you were supposed to win, because guess what? You got tonight. You've got tomorrow afternoon against the Mets. And then you've got a weekend series in Chavez Ravine against the Dodgers. Then you've got a three-game series against the Cardinals, who they have a bad record, but they've been pretty solid the last couple of weeks. Oh, and then you've got that four-game weekend against the, you guessed it, Texas Rangers. Whoopee! Let's go to the game hotline quickly. Ralph, what's going on? Hey, man, uh, first of all, kudos to Todd Graves for doing that because all that money goes to local food banks and I think he also wrote a, a check for $100,000 uh, uh, besides the 30K he dropped on the jello shot. So very, um, very classy move from a you know, great guy. So I'm glad to see that. But a real quick question for you, uh, Matty James, just y'all's opinion. Today was Darren Sproul's birthday, and the Saints on their social media posted happy birthday to the uh, greatest, basically, greatest uh, screen, or Darren Sproles plus screen passes equals greatest of all time. And I would argue that Pierre Thomas was the best 
screen runner for the Saints, and maybe with Reggie Bush as a, a close second tie with Sproles, but just wanted to get y'all's input on that. Just um, and go, go Tigers. Thanks. Appreciate the call, Ralph. Look, Pierre Thomas was great at catching screens, but I kind of agree with the Saints. I don't think there was anybody better than Darren Sproles. I, I think when it comes to overall catching the ball, I would give Sproles the edge, but when it came to screens, I can't really remember a time that a screen to Pierre Thomas wasn't successful. And I mean, when I mean successful, at least like five yards, you know what I mean? I can't, I can't remember a time that Pierre, a Pierre Thomas screen was blown up. That's true. And, and there's more memorable plays from Pierre Thomas catching a screen than there was with Darren Sproles. Cause you can remember, I remember the record that Sproles had caught against the Falcons in 2011 on Monday night football. That wasn't a screen. That was a Texas route. That was a angle to the outside cut 45 degree angle to the inside and split the linebackers and catch it for a seven yard touchdown. He did that a good bit. I remember he did that against the 49ers as well. But when it comes to screens specifically, I remember the fake to the right, throw it to the left to Pierre Thomas against the Bears in 2013, the screen in the Super Bowl, and plenty of other screens that resulted in either big gains or touchdowns for Pierre Thomas. So I would probably, I would have to agree with Ralph on this one. If it came to overall catching the ball, I'd give it to Sproles, but specifically screens, Pierre just had the patience and he had the overall balance to be able to create more explosive runs, even though I love Sproles. Fair enough. I mean, that that's a valid point. Um, I mean, w- w- we we can agree that they were both oh, spectacular. phenomenal at the screen game. I loved, I loved both of them. But absolutely. 519, we'll take a timeout. We've got about 10 minutes left when we come back. We'll do a final preview of LSU Tennessee and Astros Mets and get you on your way right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The LSU Tigers will take on the Tennessee Volunteers in an elimination game tonight of the College World Series. Pre-game begins at 5.30. First pitch is set for 6, and all the action can be heard right here on the game. Thanks to the following sponsors, Artco Equipment, Arsenal Machine Supply, Bubba Oslet Toyota Ford, Cybers Bayou Casino, Iggy Castile State Farm, Attorney Paul Brown, V-Bank, Service Chevrolet Cadillac, Beal and Hernandez, and Tibbs Trailers. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Got about four minutes until we turn it over to Chris Blair and Bill Frankes in Omaha. Your starting lineup for the LSU Tigers. Batting first and playing center field, Dylan Cruz. Batting second and playing third base, Tommy White. Batting third and playing first base, Trey Morgan. Batting cleanup and playing second base, Scavin Dugas. Batting fifth and your designated hitter is Cade Beloso. 
batting sixth and playing shortstop Jordan Thompson. Batting seventh and playing right field is Braden Jobert. Batting eighth and behind the plate is Alex Malazzo. And then batting ninth in left field is Josh Pearson. And I, I, I'm guessing it's because I could have sworn I saw Hayden get injured last night. It's possible. It, it looked like it when they switched over before you saw the Trey Correct. Morgan play in the eighth. When you they brought him in get Jack Merrifield. And they brought in Jack to pitch run for him. Correct. It looked like he was holding like his wrist or his hand. So Alex Malazzo coming in for catcher tonight, I, I wouldn't say I'm shocked by the case because I was kind of curious about that initially. I was like, is he okay? And then for Tennessee, it'll be Maui Ahuna, Hunter Inslee, Jared Dickey, Griffin Merritt, Christian Moore, Blake Burke, Zane Denton, Christian Scott, Cal Stark, and Drew Beam will be on the mound while Nate Ackenhausen with a 3.63 ERA, a 2-0 record. He's pitched 22 and a third innings, 12 runs, 24 strikeouts. Batters hit just 203 against him. LSU needs a win tonight, James. Do they get it? I think it's going to be a tough matchup versus the Volunteers, but I believe the LSU Tigers will get the win and survive. I think they win tonight, too. Um, I think the offense shows up much better than it, than it did a night ago. Um, I just find it really hard-pressed to see this offense have two bad games on this stage. Um so I think they get a win tonight, and then look, t- tomorrow against Wake Forest, all all bets are off at that point. For the Houston Astros tonight, again, 640 Astro launch on Newstalk 98.5. Starting lineup for the Astros, Altuve will bat leadoff and play second base. Bregman will bat second. Tucker will bat third. Jainer Diaz will bat cleanup and be the designated hitter. Jose Abreu will bat fifth. Jeremy Pena, sixth. Corey Jolks, seventh. Jake Myers is in center field, and he'll bat eighth. And then Martin Maldonado behind the plate, and he will bat ninth. For the Mets, you're really looking for Pete Alonzo in that cleanup spot. Francisco Lindor at number three. Jeff McNeil at number seven are, are going to be those th- the three guys to really look out for. Brandon Nemo as well with a 282 batting average. Justin Verlander versus Framber Valdez. That was one and two for the Astros just a year ago. Um, So going to be very interesting to see how that pitching matchup plays out. Uh, The Astros desperately, desperately, desperately need a win tonight and probably tomorrow afternoon if they want to feel good about themselves going into a 10-game road trip that includes four against the Texas Rangers. want to thank Wilson Alexander for taking the time to join us today from Omaha. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Hope you enjoyed the last three and a half hours of the two of us. And we'll be back tomorrow, 4 to maybe 5.30 again, depending on what happens tonight on the game. It's 103.7 Lafayette, one oh four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Let's throw it over now to Charles Schwab Field in Omaha, Nebraska. It's the greatest show on dirt. It's LSU. It's Tennessee. It's an elimination game. And it's right here on the game via the LSU Sports Radio Network. Here is the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair.